The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? And Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, that thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Let us pray. Eternal Father, we thank you for, Lord, in a car park, in a cold evening, with so many that have come, this multitude of cars and people, that you are still here with us and that your presence can be felt. Lord, that you've drawn near, you've drawn close, and we thank you, Lord, for that, for your presence surely doth make the feast. Lord, we ask you tonight that if there's one in our number here and has not yet come to saving faith in your Son, we pray that you would show them their standing with you, their sin, and their need of a Savior, and show them the Christ of God, thine only begotten Son. Lord, we ask you to anoint my lips with fresh oil and use this frail man for your glory. Help me, Lord, this evening to bring thy word unto this people, to encourage, and Lord, also for your spirit to convict of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. And help me, Lord, to show the unsearchable riches of Christ through thy word and thy spirit. Tonight, Lord, will you have thine own way and glorify the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Without you, we can do nothing. And so we thank you that you're here, just as you said you would be. So now, Lord, shut us in with thyself and glorify your name. For Jesus' sake, I pray and ask it. Amen. This young man who has much possessions and much goods, he comes to the Lord Jesus and he, he asks him a question in our reading. He says, Good Master, what good thing shall I do that I, I may have eternal life? God has set the world in our hearts according to Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. The word world means eternity. It's a Hebrew word, olam, which means eternal things. I think if all of us were honest with ourselves, 
even the most ardent vocal atheist, in their quiet moments, maybe at night sometime, they must ask the question, is there an eternity? And is there such a thing as a heaven and a hell? What if I am wrong? One day, a man had said, what if we are wrong? What if there is no heaven and we die and that is it? Well, I can say if I am wrong and there is no heaven and we die and that is it, then I have had a good and a blessed life for that which I have been awakened to by God. So God must be real and Christ is alive. But if that man or woman who deny the scriptures, who deny the Lord, who deny there's a heaven and live without him and want to know nothing about him when they die and death is not it and they find out that there is a heaven and there is a hell, then they have all eternity to know they were wrong and eternal damnation and punishment. This young man comes something that drew him to the Lord Jesus. Eternal matters have obviously been on his mind and he has been keeping the moral law or commandments of God. He tells us so in our reading tonight. Notice this, what good thing must I do? There is the problem from the offset. What good thing must I do that I might have eternal life? Most people who are unsaved, unregenerated by the Spirit of God, find in themselves that they think, well, if there's a heaven, I have done well. Surely I will be there. Or if there's a heaven, I have been to church. Surely I will get there. Or if there's a heaven, I have been a good religious person. I have been a good man, a good woman, a good husband, a good father, a good wife. I have been a good family man. I have worked hard. I have labored. I have tried and I have done my best to love my fellow man, then surely and certainly I will be there. What good thing must I do that I may have eternal life? But this young man was shocked at the answer of the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, the Lord Jesus says, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, and that is God. Notice there's none good. Friend, the Lord Jesus was telling him, No one is good. Yet the young man called Christ good. Did he know there was something special, 
something different about this man called Jesus? Is that why he called him good? Had he some realization or even revelation that he was God come down? Had he read the scriptures for he kept the moral law to the best of his ability according to him? Did he know to some degree and some level that he was God or the Messiah to come? We don't know. But he calls Christ good. And Christ said there's none good. So why do you call me good? There's none good but God. First of all, you can draw a line under your goodness. And you can take it as it were on a blackboard. Chalk under it and wipe your works away. And wipe your church away. And wipe your trusting in your affiliation, your denomination away. Your charity works for eternal life. Wipe it away. Wipe away your goodness. Wipe away all things in you that you think are good. And see yourself in the light of God's law and God's word tonight. Here there is none good, says Jesus. But I thought I was good enough. Jesus says there's none good. In fact, Paul tells us, for there is none good. No, not one. Notice here the Lord Jesus says, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Now here is a challenge. This is a challenge Jesus is holding up as a mirror before this young man. Here is the word of God. Here is the law, the moral law and statutes of God. Keep it 24-7, seven days a week. Keep it every moment of every day in your waking hours and your sleeping hours. Keep it in your dreams and your thoughts. Never to be wrong once, even once. Just do that if you will enter into eternal life. The impossibility of our depraved nature on this. Christ is showing us a mirror in the word of God and in the moral law and commandments of God. Just who we are in the sight of a holy God. We are sinners in the sight of his father. Notice this. And he saith unto him. This young man says to Jesus. Which. I thought this. Was hilarious. In the sense ridiculous. Which. And what I have written in my Bible. Just in below that. In a blue biro pen. Which. Question mark. And then. Equals all. That's what I've wrote. Which question mark equals all of them. So here the Lord Jesus tests the temperature of this young man. And he applies the word, the law, the Ten Commandments to him. To show him his need of salvation by grace through faith. And that not of himself, that it is a gift of God and not of his own works, lest he should boast in this. Which Jesus saith, thou shalt do no murder. 
Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Notice here six of the ten commandments are quoted by the Savior. Six of them. And it is the latter six really that are covered in the Lord's words here. In other words, the commandments of God, four of them are horizontal. What I mean is this. Four of them, the first four commandments, are in relation between God and man, between man and God. The six after that, they are in relation. They are, pardon me, they're vertical or horizontal. They are between man and man. The four are vertical. The six are horizontal. They are between man and man. And here, Jesus just gives this young man the last, as it were, of the six commandments. And he's saying to him, can you keep these between man and man? And yet he says, all these have I kept. There's his first one. He's just lied because he could never have kept them to the standard of God's holiness. And you and I could never keep it to the standard of God's holiness. Here he gives him the last six of the Ten Commandments. And he says, these are vertical between man and man. The young man in verse 20 says, all these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I? Jesus saith unto him, if thou wilt be perfect, go sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Notice, and come and follow me. And come and follow me. Everyone gets their eyes fixed on this man's treasures and riches as if, well, he holds them so dear, and that might be true. But the first four commandments are in the last of this statement of verse 21. And come and follow me. And come, Jesus said, and follow me. The four commandments are the first four. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Jesus is saying, if someone knows me and follows me, then the law will be written in their hearts and in their minds. And what he is saying is this, that we cannot keep it in its full because as men and women of flesh and blood and bone, we are depraved in our very nature and we need grace every day. We need grace for salvation. And he says, come follow me. Yes, put me first. Yes, get rid of your riches. He's not calling every man with riches to get rid of them. He's making a point here to this young man. He's saying, here are the ten commandments of my father. Here are our commandments, our moral law. Are you able to keep them? And this young man thought more of himself than he was worthy of. 
like many men and women, they think more of themselves than they're worthy of because we are all sinners. Because Romans 3 and 23 tells us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This makes me think of Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, we have the last church age. There's seven churches that are written to. Jesus gives a letter to the Apostle John. And the seven churches were literal churches in Asia Minor, around Turkey, where it is today. And there in the last church was the church of the Laodicean age. In that church, it was a rich church. We're told there was an earthquake in it. And after the earthquake, there were many buildings destroyed. And the building that the church were in, they said they didn't need any help, that they actually had enough money to build their own. They need no one, and they needed nothing. That's happened in history. But in church ages, each church represents a church age. Laodicea is the last of the seven churches. And that's the church where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door knock. If any man hear my voice and will open the door, I will come in with him and sup with him and he with me. And in that church, that church which was rich, listen to what Christ says to the church. For thou sayest, the last church, the last end time church, it's the church that you and I are today living in. For thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and of need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. Notice here Christ is calling to the church before the coming of Christ again. For the king is coming. And he's saying I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. Tells him to buy eye salve of him. That we might see the illumination of the Holy Spirit on the word of God. Oh friend, brother, sister. The church today is the Laodicean age church. When Christ is put outside many assembly. When Christ is put outside many a home. When Christ is put outside many a heart. And Christ has been dethroned. By many a thing. Can I ask you tonight. How is your walk? How is your love life? With the Lord Jesus Christ. Has the riches. Of this world. Lured you? Has the comforts of the age. Has it made you lethargic? And are you. Like Christ. He's knocking. At the door. He's knocking at the heart's door. He's knocking and looking in to fellowship with you again. Here we must, as it were, get rid. Maybe that's what God is doing for the good with this whole coronavirus thing. Maybe he's shown us that which we have taken for granted. When we have the heating of the church and the lights to switch on and the ornate buildings and the roof over our heads and the church got so comfortable, they stayed together and were stuck inside four walls. But now, me included, he has said, go out 
where we've got too comfortable and too lazy that we no longer put the kingdom first and the king of the kingdom in the center of all. Notice this here in our reading in Matthew's gospel, chapter 19. He says, come and follow me. Brothers and sisters, friend, I want to show you the law for a few moments. We're not going to keep you long. I want to show the man and the woman in the sight of God. We're hearing much, much this weather, and whether it's on social media and whether it's in Christian channels, if you watch them, I don't watch them. There's one of them every watch. And it shows us it's all prosperity. Prosperity gospel. Five ways to have a blessed life. Ten ways to know your own purpose in your own self. Three ways to know how to follow your own heart. And friend, they're leading people to a lost eternity. For there's no gospel. There's no blood. There's no book. There's no word. And there's no Christ. There's no showing men and women they're straying and their waywardness and their sin anymore. And people like me are hard, too much, and too strong. Friend, I want to tell you, the law of God is hated in many churches. The law of God is despised by many. Psalm 19 and verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. See that word perfect, by the way? In the Hebrew, it's the word shuba. Do you know what it means? The law of the Lord is perfect, turning back and turning around to make them to return from the soul unto God. And the law of the Lord shows us where we are in the sight of God, where man is, where our nation is, where people are in society, where the lost is before a holy God. Note this. Will you turn with me to Matthew chapter 22, please? Just a few chapters over Matthew chapter 22. And that's all right, please, if you will, Run down to verse 34. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silent, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God, with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Notice, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus was saying, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. In other words, if you love him, if you love him, then you will not have an idol before him. If you love him, you'll keep his commandments. If you love him, 
then you'll not make a graven image, whether it's in stone or in wood, for you to bow down to, whether you feel it's venerating you into worship or not, you shall not make a graven image, nor bow down unto it. You will also not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, and I will keep this, remember this Sabbath day to keep it holy. And here they put it onto one table of the law. Here they are, four into one. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. And then the second is like, unto it, love thy neighbor as thyself. And that encapsulates the six other commandments on the second table of the law. The first four, man and God. The last six, between man and man. And Jesus said to this young man, you can't even keep these. There's none good but God. Oh, friend, we'll not stand by God and we'll not be offering him our good works. We're not going to say, well, I was christened or I was confirmed in my church, whether that be a Protestant church or the Roman Catholic church or whatever other church. We won't hand him any good works or labors of our hands or say we were instituted in this or that or the other. We've done it. No, friend, there's none good but God. God came down in the person of his son and went to the cross. And the only good man that ever walked the face of the earth, they took him and they crucified him. They took him and they nailed him to the tree. And there he shed his precious blood that you and I might be saved by grace through faith. That is in our Lord Jesus Christ. Note here, friends, Galatians chapter 3, if you will turn quickly. Galatians chapter 3, please. And let your eye run down to verse 22. But the scripture saith, pardon me, the scripture hath concluded all, all under sin. This is the moral law of God has every one of us in sin. Fallen Adamic nature. Fallen in Adam. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith, which, which should afterwards be revealed. Now notice this. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster for you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. The word there, for schoolmaster is a word piedagogo. A piedagogo was someone who was in a family, usually if they were rich, and they were like a, a nanny today, or a, someone who came to help the children at home, and they lived with them, and they taught them, or they took them to school. They told them how to conduct their lives, what was right, and what was wrong, how to walk, how to talk, 
etiquette. They taught them everything. And when they went wrong, they showed them the right path. The Piedagogos, that was their name. And here, that word is used for schoolmaster. The law was our Piedagogos, which shows us our need of a Savior, which shows us that we are sinners, every single one of us. We are all under the law, all condemned, and all on a broad road to destruction. But thank God he sent his Son in his grace and his mercy, and he came and bled and died on Calvary's tree for us. The law showed me, Ken, you're a sinner. Ken, you're in need of a Savior. But the law did not just leave me there, for Christ came and kept the law that I couldn't keep and lived the life that I couldn't live and died as my substitute and shed his blood that I might be forgiven and saved. See, friend, the law of God is of the utmost importance that you and I might come to a saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It tells me that I have failed, that I have missed the mark, that I've come short of the glory of God, and that all of us have, and then shows me that I am on the road to hell, but for Christ coming in his mercy and his grace and shedding his blood and dying for me. Friend, Christ has paid our debt, and he said it is finished when he bowed his head on a pulseless breast and he gave up the ghost. Friend, are you saved tonight? For here the law tells you, if you die as you are without Christ, without trusting in him, if you die, you will spend eternity without Christ. If you die in your sin, you'll be lost forever. If you die in your sin, there's a lake of fire in Revelation 20 where all the ungodly and without Christ whose names are not written in the book of life are cast into it. Friend, are you seeing your need tonight of the Savior? For Christ alone can save you. I want to finish with this, friend. Listen to an old Puritan called George Swinnick. He says, The law is a court of justice, but grace is, but God, the gospel is a throne of grace. Let me say it again. The law is a court of justice, but the gospel is a throne of grace. In other words, friend, you see, we're all, as it were, standing at the judgment bar. There we're all seen as criminals. We're seen as transgressors. We're seen as lawbreakers. And there we're seen in our iniquity and in our sin. And there God would have every right to condemn us to hell. But the gospel is the good news. And there Christ stands interposing, showing those wounds in his hands and his feet for me. And there the gospel is a throne of grace tonight. Oh, it's by grace, friend. Sovereign grace. Amazing grace. Abounding grace. 
It's glorious grace. Grace upon grace. Are you saved tonight? Are you Christ's tonight? Are you blood-bought tonight? Are you blood-washed tonight? Have you been to a cross tonight? Have you repented of your sin? And have you given your life, surrendered yourself and all that you are at the foot of the old rugged cross to the Lord Jesus Christ? Friend, he died. And he went to the grave. And he rose again the third day. Ascended into the heavens. He's glorified. And there he is our great high priest in the glory. But he's coming again as Billy was singing. The king is coming. The king is coming. Friend are you ready for the king who is coming. The Lord Jesus Christ. So I finish with this. I finish with this thought. Notice this in verse 22. But when the young man had heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, the Jews thought that if they had much possessions, then that proved that they were right with God. Many of them had thought that in the day when Christ was there, well, if there, this young man has much possession, surely this is the blessing of God. And the whole, the whole movement that we hear today of the prosperity gospel is, well, if you're not prosperous, maybe God is, maybe God's fell out with you. Friend, I can tell you, when God found me, when Christ rescued me, he found me without a thing to give him. He found me, as it were, bleeding and dying on the Jericho Road. He found me helpless and homeless. And he found me in my sin and depravity. He found me with the, the world's elements had gotten hold on me. And the devil, he had his way with me. And he came and found me in an horrible pit. And he got right in. And he dug me out. I had nothing to give. Nothing to offer. And all to receive. Freely. By the grace of God. You see friend. People think. I can pay my way out of a purgatory. There's no such thing as a purgatory. It's a, it's a hellish lie from the, the papacy in Rome. It's a heaven or a hell. It's glory or damnation. And friend, which is it for you? Would you go away like this young man? Here's the disciples astounded at this, but he's much riches. Surely he's in favor with God. And I can tell you, friend, Jesus said, with man this is impossible. Salvation is impossible. Please don't leave like a rich young ruler tonight and drive home and think, I'll come back another night or 
that preacher's crazy and you can think all right and that's okay. But if you go home tonight and you might say, you know, I'm doing all right. Friend, without Christ, you're not doing all right. Without Christ, you're lost. Without him, you're lost. The disciple says, who then can be saved? Who then? Who then can be saved? Jesus said with men, this is impossible. Oh, notice how God could have left us in our impossibility, in our depravity, the impossibility to save ourselves could have left us for all eternity to die, to go into a lake of fire. But no, friend, he's brought us under the sound of the gospel. He sent his son to die for us. His son shed his blood for us. And now he sends his spirit and his word to show us the way, to lighten the path, to illuminate our hearts, to regenerate the spirit that we might be able to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Friend, tonight, my prayer for you is that you'll be saved. Don't trust in your church. Your church, trusting in your church, will bring you to hell. Trusting in Christ will bring you to heaven. May you do so for his glorious name's sake. Amen. Thank you. So many of you coming tonight. Thank you for your attendance tonight. For your attention tonight.